Thanks for joining our YouTube channel. If you haven't done so already, please click that subscribe button to join our community. That way you get notified each and every week a message pops up. With that being said, we pray that this message encourages and inspires you to take one step closer to Jesus. Hey, if you're new to our church, my name is Brent. I get the privilege of being your lead pastor, and we're going to continue to experience God together today. Hey, uh, as we do, though, I want to celebrate. We had 14 people make decisions for Christ last week in our church. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Love, love, love that. That's what it's all about. All right, now when we talk about the Rays, especially the 2020 Rays, I mean, it's a true underdog story. There's, there's no reason that they should have been where they were. When you look at the teams they had to go through, like the Yankees, they are the champions, right? 27 years that they've been world champions for the Yankees. Uh, you look at teams like the Astros, they were the current champions for the American League at that time period. Had to go through those teams. Look at the payrolls. Uh, the Yankees were the number one payroll in baseball in 2020. The Astros were the number five payroll in uh, baseball in 2020. Anybody know what the Rays were? 28th out of 30. <laughs> 28th out of 30. But it's a true underdog story. I mean, they come out of nowhere. Uh, they're not supposed to be that good, but suddenly they are and, and, and all this. And not only that, but you have these players that come out of nowhere. And if you haven't heard the story of Randy and Rosarina, it's such a cool story. Uh, you have an underdog team with a true underdog player coming out of nowhere. Randy Rosarina spent the first 20 years of his life in Cuba uh, and uh, as a great baseball player, wanted to defect and get away. And so he leaves. Uh, takes an eight-hour boat ride across waves that were scary, big waves, uh, and fear for his life to get from Cuba to Mexico. Gets to Mexico, does not know a single person in Mexico. Uh, obviously playing baseball, so he finds a way to play baseball and, and uh, ends up in Tijuana playing for a team called the Toros. And as he's playing for the Toros, he leads that entire league in home runs and stolen bases. And so he's obviously starting to make a name for himself. And as he's making that name, the St. Louis Cardinals start to go, hey, who is this kid? He might be pretty good. And they bring him over uh, and give him a contract. And then as the Rays do so often, uh, the Rays uh, trade established players for prospects, people that could be good down the road. And they trade for Randy Rosarina. And nobody had heard of this kid basically until just before the postseason of 2020. So who is this Randy Rosarina kid? This, this Cuban refugee. Didn't even speak English. If you saw any interviews last season, and especially he's got a translator. Uh, who is this kid? He comes into the postseason and hits 10 home runs in the postseason. That is a record for the most home runs ever hit in a postseason in the history of baseball. Isn't that amazing? Has the record for the most uh, bases and uh, hits as well in the postseason ever. As a kid that just came out of nowhere, nobody expected him to come out of anywhere. This kid just kind of comes onto the scene and you just got to love these underdog stories. You just got to love these stories of people like a Randy Rosarina that comes out of nowhere. I think it's built into our nature to love those kind of stories. Uh, in fact, um, biblically, there's a famous story that we started telling about yesterday or, or last week uh, called David and Goliath. And we looked at David in the pasture and his anointing. Today, we're going to take it the next step. But these Israelites were the underdog team. 
They were the group that nobody thought was going to be anything, and if it wasn't for God's grace on their life, they would have never been able to defeat the other nations that were in the promised land. They were the underdog team, and they find themselves in a moment where they're going to need an underdog player to rise up like a Randy or Rosarina out of nowhere and become the hero. And in uh, uh, 2 Samuel uh, chapter number 17, we're going to read it in just a second, verse 22 through 50. You're going to hear this story, and I want you to hear it like you haven't heard it before, of David and Goliath. Now, last week, we left David and Goliath. We left David, uh, I should say David, we left David in the pasture, right? He's just been anointed as the next king. His whole life has changed forever. He goes from a shepherd boy to this kid that knows he's called to be the next king of Israel. But yet, he doesn't immediately go into the palace. He doesn't immediately go to the White House, so to speak. He goes right back into the shepherd's fields. And while he's in the shepherd's fields, he's protecting sheep, and he kills a lion and a bear, and, and and takes them out, and, and then he gets this unusual call that the king is having some mental uh, uh, problems that are apparently demonic in their nature, and he can't rest, and so they're looking for a musician, and David happens to be a musician, right? And so, so David goes, and he starts playing the harp for King Saul. So he's invited in and out of the palace, in and out of Saul's presence as a musician, and so he's kind of learning how it looks to be a king. What's the inner workings of the palace? What is it supposed to look like? But make no mistake, he's still just a kid and he ends up going back and forth back and forth until one day and he may have done this more than one time but this is the moment that we read about in scripture uh, David's father says hey I want you to take some pepperoni pizzas over to your brothers on the front lines that's my translation. It was cheese and bread. And so he wants him to take some, some food over to your brothers. This is an era where the military did not pay for the food for their, for their uh, uh, soldiers. And so parents would send it in. And so Jesse, David's dad, said, hey, take this to your brothers. Now, they're old enough to be fighting. Jesse was still too young. Or maybe it's possible that not only was he too young, but now Jesse's trying to protect his son, possibly. Either way, he's sending Jesse to go take some food to his brothers as well as to uh, the other uh, soldiers around. So David takes some food, and when he gets there, he immediately starts seeing this scenario. The scenario looks a lot like a sports game today. There is two hills with a valley in between. So picture a hill, a valley, and a hill. And on one hill, you have the Philistines and their whole army, like a stadium crowd, all lined up on that hill. On this hill, you have the Israelites and their, their army. And right in the middle, you have this flat field, like the playing surface, like the football field, like the baseball diamond. You have it right in the middle, and everybody is watching what's going on. And the Philistines come from a Greek uh, background. They were seafaring people originally, it's believed. And somewhere along the line, they come from a Greek background. Background. And the Greeks had this idea that instead of everybody fighting, why don't we send out our champion, you send out your champion, and let them fight, and whoever wins, we'll just call it the winner so everybody doesn't have to die, and, and the other team, the other group, the other nation will just surrender themselves over to that nation. So, so let's do that way. Now, that's not a normal Israelite thing. That comes from their Greek background. And so the, the, the uh, Philistines send out their, quote, champion. That's his, how he's referred several times in this passage, and they send out their champion, and this champion is a massive, massive man, six foot nine inches tall by most accounts. There's some controversy over that, but about six foot nine inches tall in a time and day and age where the average man was about five, five foot five inches tall. So this was a monster of a man. And he comes out every day, morning and evening, and he taunts the Israelites. He's coming out onto the playing surface and, hey, bring it on. Who you got? 
You talk about your God is so great. Our gods are greater than your God. You talk about this and that. Bring on your champion and we will fight you. And it's in the middle of this like, like kind of a picture of an athletic event. You got these two sides in this field in the middle that David kind of enters the scene and sees it for the first time. He's never seen this. What in the world is going on? And so he drops off his food with the people he needs to drop it off with. And that's where we pick up the story. Now, because it's longer than usual and because I thought it would be fun just to do something a bit different, I'm not going to read it to you. We're going to have Antoine read it via video in a pre-made video. So if you turn your attention to the screens, follow along in your Bibles or on the screens and, and uh, watch this. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the, the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that, the, that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him. This is what we've done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now, what have I done, said David? Can I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put on a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul. 
because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with the sword and the spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Somebody say amen. Y'all ready? I think last service I put him to sleep when we showed this video. Y'all awake? Anybody ever asked you the question, or have you ever asked the question, who do you think you are? Don't lie. Maybe it was your spouse, right? Like, who do you think you are? Just look at him right now. Just look at somebody next to you. I give you permission and say, who do you think you are? See, the reason I ask this question is that who you think you are will determine how you act. Not who you are. Let me be very cautious. Let me be very clear. Who you are will not determine who, how you act. How you, who you think you are right. will determine how you act. Right. Um, Think about that. Think of, think of uh, big people or little people who, who play big and think they belong when they might not actually belong. Think of a spud web, five foot, six inch spud web playing basketball with people that are, you know, high six footers and seven footers and the whole time looking up like this at them. Who told him he belonged there? Right. But he believed that he belonged there and so he acted like he belonged there. Uh, you see this all the time. I, I think of, uh, I just heard a story recently of a lady who was former Miss South Carolina and she believed that she was ugly. Therefore she was bulimic and just had this inner uh, 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 depression all the time because she thought she was ugly. She's Miss South Carolina, but what she believed about herself came out in actions. What you believe about yourself is what actually matters. Right. Not what is true. What you believe is true. Uh, don't believe that. How about this? All the ladies in the room, how about that guy who considers himself a ladies' man, gets all greased up and oily, unbuttons his shirt down to his navel, wears lots of jewelry. 
where, where's the over, overabundance of Old Spice cologne or whatever it is? I'm sorry if you're in this room. I love you. But that guy really considers himself a ladies' man. And he is very aggressive usually as a ladies' man because he believes he is a ladies' man. But all the ladies in the house, is he a ladies' man? It doesn't matter what you are. It matters what you believe about what you are. Which is why when we talk about the makeup of a champion, champions oftentimes believe they're champions before they're champions. This is what would cause a sixth round draft pick named Tom Brady after he starts practicing with the Patriots to run into the owner in a hallway, guy by the name of Robert Kraft, look the owner dead in the eye so intently that Robert Kraft has never forgotten it. Look him dead in the eye and says, do you know who I am? Robert Kraft said, yeah, you're our sixth round pick. And he said, yeah. And I'm the best decision this organization has ever made. There's, there's an inner confidence within people who are champions because they genuinely believe in themselves, in their purpose, in their calling, into what they can do. And it's out of the inner confidence that comes the accomplishments that come out of it, right? It's out of the inward belief that come the accomplishments that come out of their life. So who you think you are determines how you act so often. And a wrong self-identity can end up keeping you out of God's will because sometimes you don't know who you are and so you believe who you are, but who you believe you are is not who you are. Think of a, a Sarah who God says you're gonna have a child and Sarah starts laughing at God. Think of, of Israelites going into the promised land and they said, we look like grasshoppers in our own eyes and it kept them out of the promised land. Sometimes the wrong self-identity can actually keep you out of God's will because God is calling you to a height. He's calling you to be a champion, but you don't believe you're a champion. Yeah. And so God is calling you to something that inwardly you don't believe about yourself and it doesn't matter what God will say about you or what he's saying over you, you have a hard time accepting it and therefore you never step into what God has for you. So if you're taking notes, let me just give you a first thought. Champions know who they are. Champions know who they are. There's there's an inward confidence that goes along with being a champion. I remember somebody saying this one time. uh, They were preaching and they said, you're bigger than you think you are. You're greater than you think you are. And I, I thought to myself, that's true, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that you're greater than you think you are, that you can accomplish more than you think you can, that you're bigger than you think you are. That doesn't actually matter because you don't think you are. And you will always act out of what you think you are. So let me give you three thoughts about it from the story of David and Goliath that will be relevant to all of us here. First of all, when you know who you are, you know what you're capable of. It's not that you're prideful and and arrogance sometimes can look the same as self-confidence. It's not that you're arrogant. It's not that you're prideful. You just know what you can accomplish based on your past accomplishments. So when Saul looks at David and says, boy, you are just a kid. You cannot do this. David looks back at Saul and says, yeah, I might be a kid. But when I was watching the sheep, a lion came and a bear came and I was able to destroy them. And this, this, this giant will be the same will be the same way. He, he knows who he is based on his past accomplishments. Think about this. What have you accomplished in the past? What has God done in you or through you in the past? <coughs> what God has done in the past is always an indication of what he can and will do in the future. Right. There's no reason that you should be fearful of the giant in your life when you've already killed a lion and a bear. In fact, I would argue, as does uh, some of the great uh, uh, theologians and other people that talk on the subject, um, I would argue that David's not even the underdog in the story. We call him the underdog because he's little and, and Goliath is big. But David's got God on his side. 
Not only does he have God on his side, but he's already killed a lion and a bear. If you've killed a lion and a bear, what's Goliath? I think it's harder to kill a lion than a giant. I will fight a giant before I fight a lion, for the record. I will also fight a giant before I fight a bear. So he's already killed a lion and a, giant and a bear. Why am I concerned about Goliath when I've already killed, like, put it into context. Some of you have been through some things and God has carried you through. You've accomplished some things that he has given you to do on your heart and you're concerned about the next thing and worried about the next thing because you forgot about the last thing. If God has done it in the past, he will continue to do it in the future. And your past is always a picture of what you are capable of through Christ. Listen, if, if, if you've already, if you've, I'm going to offend some people right now. Just pull your toes in. If you have already beaten the Saints and Drew Brees, and you've already beaten the Packers and Aaron Rodgers, what are the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. If you've already beaten Makia, the 27-time world champions, New York Yankees, who are the Astros? Who are the Astros? I told you I'm gonna offend some of you. Sports does that. But when I've done these things in the past, what's the big deal about the future? And sometimes we get so caught up in that. We need to remember what God has done in the past. Secondly, and this is so key for this moment, when you know who you are, you can ignore the haters. (laughs) Like when you actually have a confidence, when you know who you are, what you believe about who you are, you can ignore the haters. Look at at Saul looks down on, on David and is like, you can't do this. You're just a boy. David, David says, listen, I, I can, and let me show you how, and I'm going to. But the one I really want to focus on is Eliab, the, the elder brother, right? The one that we talked at length about last week. Uh, Eliab, 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 Eliab. He starts talking trash to David. Now, I want you to put yourself in the situation and see it with me. But Eliab's like, David, you just came over here so you could just say stuff and you're not going to do anything and, and you're just delivering food for dad. And, and, and who told, like, 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 you know, who's watching those few sheep? I like how he uses the word few. Who's watching those few sheep you got back at home? He's totally putting him down, totally putting him down. And I love this. I love this. Because the Bible says he just turned away. If y'all don't get anything out of this message today, just turn away. Because let me tell you what will happen. The second you act courageous, all the cowards will hate you. Who should have been fighting Goliath? Well, I'll tell you two prime candidates. Saul, he was a head and shoulders taller than everybody else. He was the Israelite champion. And you know what we learned last week is that Eliab looked the part too. Eliab was the one that came out first and Samuel said, well, he's probably the king. Look at how he looks. He was a big, strong, strapping man. They should have been the one fighting Goliath, not the boy. It's funny how when you rise to the occasion, those who are called to rise to the occasion oftentimes will start making fun of you, calling you names, picking on you. Am I talking to anybody? And if you learn anything from David, just turn away. You don't have to keep listening to him. You don't have to argue with him. You don't have to fight with him. One of the problems we have in America right now is that we're fighting the wrong people. We don't know who our enemy is, so we start fighting the wrong people, right? And so this, 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 this thing starts happening with David right now. Just, just turn away. You don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to fight. Uh, just recognize I don't need their approval to do what God has called me to do. I don't actually care that much whether I have 
their approval or not. Whose applause are you seeking? Third thing right there, when you know who you are, you don't need to try to fit in. You don't need to try to fit in. And so Saul immediately tries to get David to fit in. He gives him his armor. And and you gotta understand the context because we miss this oftentimes when we teach this story. The context here is that Goliath the champion is coming out every day with his sword and shield and yelling at the other side. But you do realize, even though this is ancient warfare, there was more than one type of warfare. There were were front infantrymen like Goliath. Those would have been the tough, bruising, strong, strapping guys like Goliath who were in the front of the charge and slaying everybody and Braveheart and all that kind of stuff. But you did have other types of weapons, and one of the other types of weapons was what they called in that time period slingers. Not swingers, slingers. Somebody's gonna go home and quote me on social media. David was a swinger. That's not what I said. He's a slinger. And these slingers were incredibly powerful because they could hit you from a long way away. A professional baseball player right now, a pitcher might be able to throw the ball 100 miles an hour. And if I get hit by a 100 mile an hour fastball, I'm just gonna lie there for a while. But they say that that the slingers were actually incredible and they could throw the stones at speeds up to 300 miles per hour. That's a little tougher than just a sword and a a shield. (laughs) And they could throw it. And they said that some of them were known to be so good that they could actually hit birds out of the sky with their slingshots. I'm just pointing out to you that there's another method of fighting than just the infantry, and nobody seemed to recognize that except David. I'm not gonna fight the enemy on his grounds. I'm not gonna fight the enemy the way he's fighting me. Who am I talking to right now? They will talk trash about you, they will be ugly towards you, they will make fun of me. You can fight on his and you will lose. If David walks out in Saul's armor, he probably loses the battle because he's not accustomed to it, it doesn't fit him, it's awkward if he does it that way, but he's fighting on his own terms. When they are ugly toward you, turn away, walk away, and fight the enemy on the terms you know how to defeat him in. That's right. <laughs> See, when you know you are, you, you don't need to try to fit in. And, and one of the problems that we have today is that we are in the midst of an identity theft crisis where, 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 where we don't know who we are, and so instead of being who we are, we try to be like somebody else. David can't be like Saul or he'll lose. He has to be like David. And we have that problem. And so I was thinking about this and immediately this clip came to mind of of what it looks like. What does it look like when we're trying to be somebody else? This is what happened. Instead of being who God calls you to be, you try to fit into somebody else's armor, somebody else's style and try to be who they are instead of being who you are. God has not called you to fit in. He's called you to stand out. He's not called you to fit into the stream and be like everybody else. He's called you to be a light, like a city on a hill. He's called you to be salt of the earth. He's called you to stand out amidst things, not just blend in, but we live in a culture where we want to blend in with everybody else and we end up trying to put on Saul's armor and it doesn't work. I tell you in the church world for years, we we had everybody that tried to become Billy Graham and then they tried to become Rick Warren and you can go to nowadays and people are trying to be Stephen Furtick and Michael Todd or whatever. Listen, I can't be Stephen Furtick. He is way more ripped than I'm ever going to be. (laughs) 
And the dude can preach, like, I, I swear he's got better sermons in his sleep than I ever preach on the stage. Stephen Furtick is the man. But if I'm trying to be Stephen Furtick, I will waste the calling that God has on my life. He doesn't want me to be Stephen Furtick. He wants Stephen Furtick to be Stephen Furtick. Now, I don't know who this is for, but there's some of us in this room that, that you do the same exact thing. You naturally go, I want to be like him. I want to be like her. Well, there's some beauty in that because it calls you to a higher standard. But when you start emulating who they are instead of who God created you to be, you lose your identity. Yeah. That's good. And when you lose your identity, you don't know who you are. And you will always act like who you think you are. And you end up broken and frustrated and disgusted. It's, it's a hard place to be in. And so we gotta be so careful not to blend in. If you're taking notes, number two, champions know who their enemy is. Champions know who their enemy is. This is important to, to mention here. I've already kind of alluded to it. But right now, if you're not careful, you will think people are your enemy who are not your enemy. In our day of social media, everybody who doesn't agree with you becomes your enemy. Can you just drop that sword for a second and say, just because they don't agree with you does not make them your enemy, Amen. right? And so what we have is instead of fighting the Philistines, what if David started fighting his brother because his brother talked bad about him? What if David started fighting Saul and trying to prove himself and said, I'll show you how great I am. I'll fight you right now. In the Christian world right now, we have an enemy, the devil, who prowls around like a roaring lion. It is manipulating and using people against us. And all of a sudden, instead of fighting our enemy, we're actually fighting people that may be on the same side. They just have a different theology or understanding or doctrine. All of a sudden, they might not agree on this issue or that issue, but now they become the enemy instead of recognizing you have an actual enemy. Right. And David twice, I think it's verse 26 and 36, David twice refers to Goliath as an uncircumcised Philistine. And you're like, well, that's, what does that have? That's just kind of weird. Why does he even say that, right? Uh, you know, uh, uncircumcised Philistine. That was not about a fleshly thing. When you talked about somebody being circumcised or uncircumcised in that time period, you were talking about the covenant that God had with them. The circumcision was an outward sign of the covenant or the blessing that God had for them, the agreement that God had for them. And so when David says this uncircumcised Philistine twice in the passage and refers to him that way, he's letting us know something. He's caught on to why he can defeat him. It's not because David's so big. I can defeat him because God has a covenant with us and he doesn't have a covenant with him. All of a sudden he's seeing what's really going on. Listen, if all you see is what is to be seen, then you're not seeing all there is to see. Yeah. If all you see is what everybody else sees, I promise you, you're not seeing all there is to see. Right. The whole army is shaking in their boots. The whole army is terrified because all they can see is a giant. What David sees is that there's a covenant between me and God that that giant doesn't have. That's right. David had learned the lesson from the pasture that it doesn't even matter how big he is. He had already learned this, this, this message from the, past, from the pasture that we talked about last week, that God looks at the inside, not the outside. So the outside actually doesn't matter. If Goliath were three feet tall or 30 feet tall, it doesn't make a difference at all. What matters was the covenant. Now, I'm not saying that the enemy won't use people, and especially when we get into politics and stuff. I'm not saying any of that. What I am telling you is that there is not a person that is your enemy. Your enemy is the devil. Your enemy is an enemy. He is a spiritual force. And you have the ability to take out your enemy if you will stop fighting the way everybody else is. Right. 
Again, they could have gone with sword and spear and javelin and shield and all of that and fought Goliath, and maybe they win, maybe they don't. But David won because he said, I'm not going to fight the battle the way you're fighting the battle. I got a different way. I'm a slinger. I don't have to even get close enough for him to hit me with a sword. I don't even have to get close enough for him to touch me. I can hit him from 30 feet away, 50 feet away, whatever it was. I can hit him from a distance. I'm a slinger. I can fight differently. All I'm saying is, you are going to have, as we're going to talk about in a minute, some Goliaths that come up in your life. You're going to have some Goliaths that you think are in your life right now. You are going to have some political problems, some issues, some things going on in America, some difficulties. And if you're not careful, you're going to attempt to fight them the way everybody else is fighting them. And how's that working, by the way? Or you can choose to fight them in a different style, in a different way, using the spiritual forces that God has given us to overcome the spiritual forces of the enemy. And you can start praying in the spirit and operating out of the spirit instead of the flesh. And you might actually see victory. I don't know who I'm talking to, but I hope you hear me. I hope you hear me. And so they know who, they know who, their, who their enemy is. They, they recognize it. And so when you know who your enemy is, you can call it arrogance or you can call it cockiness. But I think it's just knowing who you are and what God has called you to compared to him. And so David looks at Goliath and says, who is he? I love that phrase, those three words. Who is he? I mean, come on. I've already killed a lion. I've already killed a bear. Who is he? He doesn't have a covenant with God. I do. Who is he? Why do we think David's the underdog? Why do we think that way? Anyway, let's go to the next point. Champions take action. (coughs) If... We had gotten to this point and we stopped. What we would find is that we would talk a lot of trash. We would believe in our hearts, but we would never actually do anything. We would talk trash. We would, we would be the ones that are, that are couch potatoes that act like they know what's going on. But we would never actually do anything. So we have to take action. The problem with action is that fear oftentimes paralyzes us so we never step up into action. We are scared of what could happen if we did take action so we never move. The other problem that begins to happen is that we get frozen in fear or frozen even if it's not fear. Pull your toes in American church, Arise Church. We get frozen because we're used to watching everybody perform on the field or on the stage and not actually entering in. Many years ago, <clears throat> they started this thing in baseball. I'm more of a football guy than me, than, than baseball guy. Uh, but I do like baseball. And honestly, the older I get, and maybe this is a thing, I don't know. But the older I get, the more I like baseball. It's like chill, you know what I mean? Like, I don't have to have a heart attack when I watch baseball, you know? Um, <laughs> And, and baseball and football are very different sports to be at the stadium for, right? Uh, football, every, like you stand up every 30 seconds, right? Something happens, the person in front of you stands up, so you stand up, then they sit back down, then you sit back down. It's like a Catholic service, you know? You're just up and down, up and down, up and down. <clears throat> and so you get your cardio. It's like doing squats. You get your cardio <laughs> at the football game. Baseball games are very different, though, especially when you go to a Rays game because there's nobody in front of you anyway. <laughs> And so baseball games, you can sit in the seat the entire time. You never have to stand up. You can clap, you can cheer, whatever you want to do from the, from the chair. Like, it's awesome, right? And so you never have to get up. And when you sit there for a long time, and maybe this is an age thing too, I don't know. But when you sit there for a long time, sometimes your legs kind of go to sleep and they get a little numb. Come on. 
I know I'm not the only one. I'm telling on myself, but I know I'm not the only one. And you're sitting in this little seat that's not even made for my big butt anyway, and, and your legs are getting numb, and you get stiff, and you start stretching a little bit, and you're like, I gotta move. And so baseball, being the genius people that they are, invented something called the seventh inning stretch. Y'all know the seventh inning stretch? Yeah. Right, we are in the seventh inning of this message right now. Stand up and go ahead and give your seventh inning stretch. Get it on. Stretch it out a little bit. If you know the song, you got to sing it along. recognize you're sitting in the chair too long you just got to get up and move they're smarter than the church because in the church we are really good at sitting in our chairs applauding the pastor applauding the missionary applauding the other people that are doing the work of ministry that we are called to do we need a seventh inning stretch in the church right now we need people to stand up stretch out you know who never has to do a seventh inning stretch? The players who are on the field. You don't see them stretching. They don't have to stretch because they're playing. They're in the game. But in the church world, it's very easy, especially, in fact, it's not even the church world. It's the American church world. It's very easy to sit back and applaud and turn church into an event and a concert and a game that we applaud the person on the stage for what they're doing and we got home and we're like, oh man, we won that one or we go home and we're like, oh, we, we lost today. That message put me to sleep. Somebody go home, a pastor, pastor Brent hit a home run today and then you go home and you're like, oh, he struck out today, <laughs> whatever it was. And we turn it into this event. I just wanna say, if you're going to be a champion you're going to have to move beyond the fear that paralyzes us and actually get up and do the things that God's calling us to do. Right. Yeah. We wonder why all this stuff is happening in the world around us and how did we get to this point? I can tell you how we got to the point. The church stopped being a city on a hill and started being a spectator sport watching one person do all the ministry. Yeah. The pastor's job is to equip the saints. Right. Say, I'm a saint. To equip the saints for ministry. That's my job is for you to do ministry, believe it or not. That's what, that's what Paul told us. That's what we are to do. But we end up living in fear if we're not careful. And we freeze. We freeze instead of fight. Let me ask you this deep question. I've been pondering this this week. When did David actually win the fight? Like, I don't mean like in a, the grand scheme of things. I mean between him and God. When did he win the fight? When did God say he's a winner? <clears throat> I would submit to you that it's not when he chopped Goliath's head off. It's not when he slung the sling and hit him with a rock. It's not even when he went out and he said, I'll triumph over you by the, by the God of 
it's not even in the trash talking. I would submit to you that he actually won the fight as soon as he stepped on the field. Why? Why? Just stay with me. Because when he stepped on the field, for one, there's no turning back. He steps on the field. The Bible says he ran up to the, to the battle line. Why do you run? I think he ran because he was a little bit scared. I know we want to paint David in this picture that he's never intimidated, never scared. But you run towards things you're scared of. Anybody ever jump off a high dive? If you go look over the edge, you will never jump. Step back, just run, don't look, and jump, right? So David runs out into the field. I submit to you that the moment he stepped onto the field and started running, the moment he took action and it went beyond just saying something and stepped into action, that's when he won in God's sight. Because listen to me, even if he lost the battle, God said you won the war. God said, God, you've already, you've been obedient. You're trusting me. You have won. So even if he did not win the fight with Goliath, he had already won in God's sight, which is more important than any human sight. Are you with me? What if just taking action was a win in itself? And so the fear that we have of, of taking action is actually something in us that's preventing us from stepping into the glory God has for us because the glory is just found in taking action. Say, I started this ministry and it failed. Yeah, but she started it. I went back to school and I didn't do very good. Yeah, but she went back to school. (laughs) I I tried to reach out to my child and and they didn't reach back, but you reached out to your child. The win was in swing. You know what the most frustrating thing in the world as a baseball fan is a third strike watching at the end of the game. Right. Come on, anybody with me? Like, just swing the bat, man. Like, he's just watching and game's over. Swing the bat. You will never hit the ball if you don't swing the bat, right? You know, I'm working on a doctorate. I'm really smart right now. You will never hit the ball if you never swing the bat. You got to swing the bat. Hello. It's like watching a football game and you got the Hail Mary at the end of the game and it's like your last chance to win and the quarterback gets sacked. It's like, ah! Just throw the ball up. Give somebody a chance for crying out loud. I hate that. It drives me crazy. Why? Because you are called to action and champions will take action and sometimes the victory is just in taking these steps of action. Don't believe me, here's a great illustration from a baseball movie called Moneyball. Great movie, great baseball movie called Moneyball. Watch this clip from Moneyball. The Visalia Oaks and our 240 pound catcher, Jeremy Brown, who as you know, scared to run to second base. This was in the game six weeks ago. This guy's gonna start him off with a fastball. Jeremy's gonna take him to deep center. Here's what's really interesting because Jeremy's going to do what he never does. He's going to go for it. He's going to round first, and he's going to go for it. Okay? This is all of Jeremy's nightmares coming to life. Oh, they're laughing at him. Jeremy's about to find out why. Jeremy's about to realize that the ball went 60 feet over the fence. He hit a home run and didn't even realize it. (laughs) 
how can you not be romantic about baseball? <laughs> he hit a home run and you didn't even realize it. What if hitting the home run is just in the action? You're scared to go to second, but the fact is that when you swung the bat, you actually won. <laughs> you hit the home run and you didn't even realize it. Some people are like, I don't know about this God thing. I'm not sure about this whole weird thing, but you made it to church. Yeah. What if the run was making it to church? You're like, oh, my family's a mess. I don't know if I can fix this. But, but, but you took your wife on a date. Maybe the date was actually the victory. Maybe the date was actually the thing that started to push you in the right direction. Some people were like, I don't know about my money problems. I don't know if I can handle this. Maybe the first step was applying for this other job, for having the step of faith to go, oh, I could be the manager. I could be this regional director. Maybe the step of faith was just trying it. <laughs> Somebody's like, I don't know how to read the Bible. Pick it up, open it, and just start reading. You might find that the victory was right there when you opened it, not in some great revelation that you suddenly have it all together. Maybe you hit a home run and you didn't even know it. So I don't know where to serve in the church. Just sign, maybe the win is just signing up for a discovery class. I don't know how to, I don't know how to fit in. Maybe the win is just signing up for a group. Maybe the win, maybe the first step to your victory is just stepping in and realizing that one of your enemies is not out there. He's in yourself and your own inner fear that you are not good enough and your belief about yourself. <sighs> Nolan Ryan was known as one of the greatest pitchers in history and right in the middle of his prime in 1986 as he's throwing strikeout after strikeout, there was this opening day game and a guy that he had to throw against by the name of Will Clark. You, you would know him later as Will the Thrill Clark. He was the first baseman for the Giants on that day. It was April 8th, 1986. And Will is in the dugout and he's going to go face the great, awesome champion, Nolan Ryan. And as he's walking out of the dugout, one of the other players looked at him and he said, man, it really stinks that you got to face Nolan Ryan for your first at bat. And he looked back at him and said, I'm not facing Nolan Ryan. Nolan Ryan is facing Will Clark. Yeah. Come on. Sometimes it's a matter of changing and flipping the way you're looking at it. What if David wasn't fighting Goliath or facing Goliath? What if Goliath was facing David? What if we have flipped this thing upside down and we don't realize who we are and therefore we start to believe we're something that we're, that's lesser than we are and therefore before you know it, you think you're an underdog. Who told you you're an underdog? Right. Who told you you're not good enough? What if you had 20 seconds of insane courage? <laughs> so I just want to say this as I, I wrap up. It's got to be done. When God is going to elevate you, there's always a Goliath between you and your destiny. There's always a giant. I've seen this in my life over and over and over. In fact, maybe we need to look at the, the giant in our life differently because maybe he's not just a giant. Maybe he's actually a pathway to the next season that God has for you, the next big thing. It might be a hard conversation you don't want to have. It might be uh, applying for a job that you don't feel like you're adequately able to get. But, but what is your Goliath? And I love how David looks at him and says, today I will conquer you. I, when's the last time you looked at a giant in your life and said, I'm going to conquer you today? Today, I'm going to conquer you. Let me tell you where we're all at in this message in different ways. There's multiple voices that are speaking internally. Some are louder than others. Some you pay attention to more than others. 
David shows up on the front lines. He believes, I could do this. I could take out Goliath. I've, I've got a lion and a bear. I could take this guy out. And then Saul, the most prominent man in the world, the man who was God's man at that time, the way they still looked at it. He's God's man, the most prominent man, the one that you respected what he said. Saul says, no, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. You can't do it. Then he gets to his older brother, much older than him, Eliab, the oldest of the brothers, and there was a bunch in between. Therefore, he had to be fairly old or older than David. And when you have an older brother, you respect your older brother. And in a very real sense, they're a picture of what you will be one day. And so, so you respect them in a unique way. And your older brother that you respect says, no, you're not good enough. So that starts making fun of him. And so he hears those internal voices of criticism the same voices that you hear inside yourself. Pastor George and I Rise India talked about this last Saturday. It's the same voices that you hear within your own self that start speaking, I'm not good enough. I can't do this, whatever. And so your, your internal voice starts to align with the external voices that told you you couldn't do it. All the insecurities that come through childhood, you start to align with it. And so that third grade teacher that said, you don't write well, now you're scared to go to college because a third grade teacher said, you can't write. That girl that broke your heart in seventh grade, all of a sudden now you're scared to give your heart to somebody else because of what's happened in that season in the past. And your fear based on what others have said or done starts to limit you on going forward. But then there's this other voice inside of David. You got the voices saying you can't do it, but then there's some voice inside of him that says, no, you got this. Have you already forgotten that you are anointed as the next king of Israel? He can't kill you. You're like unkillable right now, right? You're, you're the next king of Israel. Maybe this is your coming out party and you just didn't know it yet. Maybe stepping out of this, this fear is, is where it's all about to come. And you got this other voice inside of him. Some of us have this voice of the Holy Spirit saying, you, you got this, you got this, you got this. Which voice do you listen to? Which one will you actually believe because what you believe about yourself will determine how you act? Which one will you actually believe? Stand up with me if you would. <clears throat> in America right now, we are in an identity crisis. In fact, if there's one topic that I consistently hear church leadership experts talk about that, that pastors have to keep addressing, it's identity. It's identity. And there's a reason why. Because we get our identity from our earthly father. And I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad or anything like that. But the truth is simply that when your earthly father is not there or is an absentee father, you grow up without an identity. You grow up in an identity crisis. You don't know who you are used to be that your father taught you who you are by who he was. Now you don't know who you are because you don't know your father. And so we end up in an absentee father situation that culminates in an identity crisis. And so when you get in those moments that you want to trust the Holy Spirit, you want to trust what he's calling you to do, but it's hard to hear that voice because the other voices are so loud. We have to get to the place, and I want you to get there this morning, that you begin to recognize that your earthly father might not have been there, but you have a heavenly father who is greater than any earthly father that will give you an identity that's greater than any earthly father's identity. 
male, female, this doesn't matter. And all of a sudden you can discover who you are. Your identity crisis can be gone. You can find out who you are by what he says over you and who he is in your life. And all of a sudden your identity begins to get formed around him. And when that happens, now, now this is key. When that happens, that voice gets louder than the other voices because you trust that voice, not the other voices. Let's talk about David. He might not have had the greatest relationship with his father. Maybe there's a reason why, why David is, is left in the pasture when dad brought all the other boys in the house. Maybe it's more than just he's young. Maybe David had some issues going on with dad. I, I don't know. All I can tell you is this, that God had spoken through the prophet Samuel to tell David who he was. And that word was greater than the shepherd word his dad gave him. If he was operating out of, I'm just a shepherd. That's what I am. My brothers are the great ones. They're the ones that are invited to things. They're the one. If he was operating out of the identity that his father had given him, he would have never fought Goliath but he was operating out of an identity that God gave him through a prophet that said, you are special. You are anointed as the next king of Israel. And that voice was louder. Do you know who you are? I started with that big question. Who do you think you are? Because who you think you are will determine how you act. David was not the king. He was not the big guy. He was not the one supposed to be fighting a giant. But yet he did because he thought he was that. Because he's listening and identifying with the Holy Spirit and the Father God, not just what people said about him. <laughs> see, see, I don't know if you get this. Can I tell you what God says about you? First of all, if you are in Christ, according to Paul in 2 Corinthians, you are a new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. So it's time to let go of those old voices and start listening to his voice. And he says that you are loved. He says you're accepted. He says you're a child of God. He says you're a friend of Jesus. He said you are a joint heir with Jesus. He says you are the temple of God. He said you are a member of Christ's body. He says that you are a saint. He says that you are complete and whole in Jesus Christ. He says there is no condemnation that can have its hold on you. He says you are chosen by God. He says you are anointed. He says that you don't have a spirit of fear. You have a spirit of power and love in a sound mind. He says you're God's co-worker. He says you have access to him. He says you have been chosen to bear fruit. And I could go on and on and on and on. The question comes, do you believe what he says or do you believe what somebody else told you? That's the question. And what you believe will determine how you act. And there are giants that are waiting to fall in your life and you're just waiting to step up to it because you're believing the wrong lie what somebody else said instead of what your father said. You're not the underdog. You have God's word on your side and even if you fail, just going for it is the victory unto itself. And we end up in a spiritual identity crisis because we still think we're the underdog. David wasn't the underdog, neither are you. He might be bigger in the flesh than he is in the, but you are bigger in the spirit. And if all you can see is what's seen, then you're not seeing all there is to see. There is so much more. There is so much more. <sighs> we love to celebrate when the little people act big, right? We love to celebrate the Warwick Duns. Little guy playing running back, getting hit by big guys and popping back up over and over. We, we love to celebrate the little people that play big. 
You know the saddest thing though? Is the big people that play small. We, we've all seen this kind of thing in sports. And on the outside, they looked the part. These are mountain-sized men. One of the biggest guys on my high school football team would talk trash, and he looked the part, but you didn't actually want him on the field. He was timid and scared, and I'm not hating on him. All I'm saying is this, that God has called us to be big, to play big, to fight giants, to take over lands, to take over regions, to lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. God has called us to walk in the power and authority of the kingdom of God. He's called us to a big mission. And if you could see yourself in the spirit realm, you're not 5'10", you're like six foot nine, like Goliath, and demons tremble when you walk into the room because of the authority that you walk in. But instead, we're the big guy who acts small and we tremble at demons. And we tremble at what's happening in America. And we tremble at this politics and we tremble at this thing and we tremble at this job situation. And we start trembling, not recognizing who we are. Your prayers move heavens. Do you know who you are? Because who you think you are will determine who you act. And my prayer is, as we leave this room in a few moments, that you walk out with a different identity, that you start to realize who you are in Christ. You are not the underdog. You are not the one coming from below. In the spirit realm, you are a giant killer. And you'll find out that things that look like giants aren't even giants when they're chopping their heads off, when you're chopping their heads off. You are a giant killer. Would you bow your heads with me across the room? There's some of you and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And this is a moment for you this morning to find a new identity. Maybe your earthly father wasn't around as much as he needed to be. Maybe your identity has been scarred because of what's happened in life. And this is a moment this morning to meet your heavenly father and find out who you really are. Find out what you're really called to. And as you surrender your life to him, as you lay yourself before him, all of a sudden he covers you with his glory. Thank you for watching this message today. We ask that you hit the subscribe button and share this message on all social platforms. Man, we are hoping that you were encouraged and blessed by what you heard. And we cannot wait to see you next time.